Our Lord, as you speak to us now, help us to hear you speak. May these words sink deep into our hearts. May they help us see more of you. May they help us love you more, trust you more, and want to live for you more. Lord, I pray that in them we would see your goodness afresh. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So old. If you're older than me, there's a good chance you've seen that film, Groundhog Day. If you're younger than me, you should see it because it's on the list of 100 movies to see before you die. But if you haven't seen it, there's a good chance you've seen one of the modern spin-offs. Palm Springs, the map of tiny perfect things. The funny thing about this story about a day that keeps repeating is that the story itself keeps repeating in new movies. But the main plot line of all of these films is the same. There's a main character who finds themselves in an infinite time loop, reliving the same day over and over and over again. And as they relive that one day, well, they make the same mistakes. They do the same selfish things. And gradually they realise, and it's usually with the help of a female love interest, that they've been living wrong. In each of these films, the character grows, learning to live the day right, at which point the spell is broken and they wake up on the next day. Well, Genesis 9 is the original Groundhog Day. Because Genesis 9 tells the story of Noah in the days after he steps off the ark. God's just destroyed the world with a flood because of the sin that he saw in the world. And Noah and his family step out and Noah is on a quest to try to live rightly in God's world. But the thing about Noah's story is that it's a story we've heard before. It's a story of the man that God chose to be the father of all people. It's a story that we've already heard earlier in Genesis, isn't it? And the author of Genesis wants to make really, really clear to us, as we read Genesis 9, that Noah is the new Adam. Noah is reliving Adam's story. It's Groundhog Day as God's man wakes up and tries to do what the first man couldn't do. Have a look in your Bibles and I'll show you what I mean. The first thing that helps us see that Noah's story is Adam's story is that both begin with a new world emerging from a watery chaos. Back in the original creation, in Genesis 1 verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. That word for deep is the ocean. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
Now, if you were a Hebrew person, uh, the idea of water, the idea of the ocean, that, that means chaos. That means deep, dark, and scary. Jewish people did not go swimming for fun. The ocean was scary. It was chaos. We struggle to understand that because we live in Noosa and we love the ocean. But perhaps the equivalent is Dad's shed. It's dark. It's scary. It's chaotic. But out of this chaos in Genesis 1, out of the watery chaos, God creates. He creates the land, the sea, the sky, the birds, the fish, and ultimately Adam and Eve. Fast forward a few chapters and God does it all over again. He destroys the first world with a massive flood. And in Genesis 8, the flood waters subside. And out of that watery chaos emerges a new creation with land and sky and birds and fish and animals. And finally, Noah and his family. So already we see the similarities, don't we? Both worlds emerge out of watery chaos, but... The first seven verses of chapter 9 make it really clear. Have a look in your Bibles. In verse 1, God blesses Noah and says, Be fruitful and multiply. Increase in number and fill the earth. Almost the exact same words that he said to Adam in the garden. In verse 2, God gives Noah dominion over creation. Every creature is given into his hands just like it was for Adam in the garden. In verse 3, God provides food for Noah, just like he did for Adam. Except that Adam, well, he was vegan. God only gave him plants to eat, but lucky Noah, he gets given meat now. And in verse 4, God tells Noah that there is something that he must not eat, just like God said to Adam. Adam was not to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Noah mustn't eat meat that's full of blood. Now, with both of those prohibitions, those restrictions on what they can eat, God was teaching his creatures something. The tree in the Garden of Eden was there to teach Adam that it was God who was to decide what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil not humans. Well, in the same way, the command to Noah about not eating uh, animal meat with its blood in it is there to teach him that life belongs to God. Life is not something that we control. A creature's life is in its blood. Now, we get that, don't we? That's why the Red Cross Blood Service has rebranded itself as Lifeblood. Because blood is life. And so if you go down to the Donomobile in Tawantin on the first week of every month, which you should if you can, you'll see it plastered on the side of the van, Give Life, Give Blood. Blood is essential to life. But what the Red Cross gets wrong is that while almost anyone can give blood, only God can give life. These words from God to Noah are there to show him that life is God's. It belongs to him. It's not for humans to take away. 
That's why God tells Noah not to drink animal blood. Because its life belongs to God. Now, God has given the meat to Noah to eat. But only because he gives it. He says, the life belongs to me. But the more important lesson from this, if animal life belongs to God, well, how much more does human life created in God's image? And so for the the lesson for Noah and for us is that human life is not ours to do what we want with. Now, at the very least... That means we don't shed human blood. Whether that be an embryo, an infant, a person with a disability or a person with a terminal illness, it is not our job to end the life of another human. And anyone who does will be held to account by God. But perhaps the more confronting thing for us today is the implication that your own life is not even yours. Your life belongs to God. He made you. You're his. And so every decision that you make is a decision in which God is the key stakeholder. We're living on borrowed time. Our lives are not our own, which means we need to make decisions with God's interests at heart. And so let me ask you, are you making life decisions with God in mind? Or are you treating your life as your own? We digress, though. We've seen in Genesis 9, or that Genesis 9 is a replay of creation. God gives his people a retake, another go at living right in his world. And as we read this Groundhog Day, this repetition of the same day, the question that comes to mind is, is Noah going to get it right? Adam failed, maybe Noah will live the day rightly. Well, we only have to read on a few verses and we'll find out the answer is an emphatic No. Noah does not get the day right, does he? Oh, sorry. God gave his creatures a retake. Noah gets a new beginning. But in the episode recorded for us at the end of the chapter, from verse 18 onwards, we find that this new beginning has the same tired ending. Noah, the righteous and blameless one who walked with God, plants a vineyard, gets plastered, and then gets caught with his pants down by his son, who decides to have some fun at his father's expense. Now, the details of that story are a little bit confusing, but the clear message is that Noah is a letdown. Genesis 9 begins with expectation, begins with hope. Maybe now humanity will get things right and Noah fails. And he was the best we've got, right? Remember, Noah was the righteous one. He was the most righteous person that God could find on the face of the planet. And it takes him all of five minutes to screw it up. 
And so just like all the humans that came before him, Noah too succumbs to the inevitable result of living in rebellion to God's rule. He dies. Just like all of the generations before him, Noah dies. Genesis 9 begins with expectation, begins with hope. Maybe this will be the one to get humanity right, the one who will actually live as they're supposed to. And the answer is no, he fails. No, it's just another name on the list of humans who lived and yet failed to live like they should. He was better than some, but still not good enough. And the reality is, no matter how many times God gives us a retake, no matter how many times he wipes the slate clean and starts again with humanity, the result will be the same. Every single time, we will fail. You will fail. It's the reason we can't keep New Year's resolutions, the reason we can't stick to our health kick, it's the reason you can't kick the habit the reason we keep making dumb moves in relationships, and it's the reason we keep having to deal with the consequences of our bad decisions. And it's the reason that, try as we might, we are completely incapable of doing what God says is right. Every day is Groundhog Day. Every day is a retake at living rightly in God's world and every day the same thing happens. The problem, as God points it out in chapter 8, verse 21, is that every inclination of our heart is evil from childhood. Now, it's not that you're as bad as you could be. You could definitely be worse. But every inclination of our heart is opposed to God's good design for his creation. Every fabric of our being is resistant to letting God be God. We don't want him calling the shots in our life. We don't want to have to bow our knees before him. And so we resist him. Even though if we were just love him and serve him, we would have more than anything we could ever imagine. Because of our sin, we fail to be the humans that God made us to be. None of us live to our potential. None of us ever become what God intended humans to be. Adam tried and failed, Noah tried and failed, and we'll try, and we too will fail. And so the question that Genesis 9 raises for us is, what what hope is there? If even Noah, the righteous one, the one who was called blameless in his generation, if even he can't live up to God's standard, what hope is there? Well, friends, the surprising thing about Genesis 9 is not human sinfulness. That's the consistent thing in the Bible. Human sinfulness is not surprising. We are consistently sinful. The surprising thing in Genesis 9 
is how God responds to human sinfulness. Because remember, just last week, we saw that the right thing for God to do in response to human sinfulness was to destroy all human life. Judgment is exactly what human sin deserves. But the surprising thing here in Genesis 9 is that God does something radically different. He doesn't judge. He doesn't just turn a blind eye to Noah's sin or to all human sin. Instead, he joins himself to us. He makes a covenant with Noah, and it's not just with Noah, he binds himself to all humans ever, for every generation. In fact, not just to humans, to all creatures. God makes this promise. It's it's like a husband and wife who make promises on their wedding day to stay faithful to each other until death. God makes a binding promise to remain faithful to humanity even though we are unfaithful. It's like a husband or wife making a promise on their wedding day to stay faithful, even when they know their spouse is going to cheat on them. That's the kind of promise that God makes to you. He does it with full knowledge that you will sin, that you will continue to ignore him, to resist him, to hate him and to want to be him. And in verses 8 to 17, God outlines his covenant promises. Verse 13 says God lays down his weapons against humanity. He sets his bow in the clouds. It's a bit of a play there. It's the rainbow, the, the visible sign of God's promises. But it's, it's a picture of God laying down his weapons. No longer will he be fighting against humans. He promises that never again, as long as this earth endures, never again will he wipe out human life in judgment, even though that's what we deserve. Friends, human sin will never change. God can give you a retake at living rightly every day, and every day the result will be the same. But, in the words of a Disney princess to her magical snowman friend, I listen to a lot of Frozen in my life. (laughs) But that is God's promise to you. Some things never change. Your sin doesn't change. Your rebellion against God won't change. But he promises to hold on tight to you. Even in the depths of your sin, he will be faithful. Now just consider that for a second. Think about you at your worst. The worst thing you've ever done. The blackest your heart has ever been. The most hateful, the most greedy, the most awful version of you. Even in that moment, especially at that moment, God has committed himself to you. 
He's committed himself to being patient with you, holding back on the judgment that your sin deserves. He's committed himself to giving you another chance. He's committed himself to giving you more time to turn to him. Now, this is not God saying sin doesn't matter. But the promise that God made to Noah for all humans is a promise that's still binding. God is still being patient. God is still giving his creatures more time to repent. But the promises God makes to Noah, they point us forward to promises still to come. Because the covenant with Noah still stands, but God's added some better promises. And in just a moment, we're actually going to celebrate those promises with the Lord's Supper. We're going to remember that covenant, the promise that in Christ, God doesn't just withhold his judgment. He doesn't just give us more time until his judgment. He takes his, your judgment. He takes that wrath upon himself. He dies in your place so that you can be forgiven. So that you can be right. And more than that, God promises that in Christ he will change you. He will grow you so that it will no longer be Groundhog Day. That one day... In glory, you will actually live the life that God intended for you to live. Friends, that is the faithfulness of our God. That is how committed he is to you. Will you receive his gift of mercy? I'm going to pray, and then we're actually going to Celebrate those promises in the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we are blown away by your grace and mercy to us, by your patience with us, that even though our sin deserves condemnation, that you hold off, that you give us time to repent. You give us time to respond to your gracious offer of forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. And that in him, you give us even more. Lord, we thank you for this reminder this morning from Genesis 9 that our sinfulness will not change. That no matter how many times we try, we will not ever be able to be good enough for you. But Lord, we rejoice in that while we are consistently sinful, you are consistently faithful. Lord, help us to take hold of the promises to us in Christ Jesus. That if we believe in him, we'll be forgiven, we'll have life, and that you will change us by your spirit each day so that we can live rightly for you. Lord, do that in us, we pray, for the glory of our Saviour Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.